but it swung like a pendulum across the room. And I'm not, I have no idea that it's coming whatsoever. I'm running at like a half jog pace, maybe a three quarter jog pace. And all of a sudden with absolutely no preparation or awareness, this thing hits me in the forehead and completely takes me off my feet. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. I'm excited for today. I think we've got an episode that's going to help some people on a really deep level. But before we get to the guest, just want to mention, um, check out 10,000nos.com. It is very possible that by the time you are listening to this episode, the store is up and running there, which means you can buy the uh, t-shirts and hats that we have. They're really cool. I've talked about them before, but um, it's just a way, if you're digging this podcast, you know, we've been putting it out there for over two years for free. Hopefully it's adding value to your life. And if you're looking, as many of you have been kindly emailing in and saying, how can we support? This is what I did. I didn't want to just, you know, I'm not going to collect money from people, but I figured, okay, cool. We got some cool apparel. Uh, you can walk around with it. That also helps the visibility of the show. It's kind of a win-win for everybody. So uh, check that out. Um, and uh, yeah, speaking of feedback, I mean, the feedback lately has been phenomenal. I mean, we love that. So thank you. And uh, the number of listens is going up on each episode, which means you guys are sharing this with people. So really, that's just awesome. On a personal level, it's cool because I'm psyched to have a podcast that's becoming more and more relevant. But from a human perspective, I truly believe that these stories and these guests and these principles that are talked about in in the raw way that we talk about them on this show. I I I know I sound like an a hole for saying this, but I really do think that this getting in the hands of more people is a good thing for society. So the larger the impact, the better. Perfect segue for me to get serious about today's guest. Mike Boyle is not your typical psychotherapist. He's not your typical guy either, but he kind of used to be. Standout hockey player with aspirations to play in the NHL, Mike became critically depressed as a college athlete after suffering multiple head injuries. He was a real bruiser on the ice. He has since dedicated his life to healing and helping others thrive. He has two master's degrees in psychology. He has studied in numerous spiritual work and holistic health systems. He keeps diligently abreast of cutting-edge neuroscience and incorporates the best evidence-based methods into his work from both inside and outside the box, such as neurolinguistic programming, NLP, and dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. Now, while all of this sounds fancy, which it is, what I really love about Mike is that as evolved and well-read as he is, and you'll hear him, he's very articulate. Underneath it all, he's still that kid from Boston that I knew as my college roommate's younger brother and a wicked badass hockey player. Sorry, 
I'm a sucker for the Boston accent, had to do it. He's a guy who, when he was teaching yoga, considered creating a course for men called Get Your Balls Back Yoga. So <laughs> that's that's his cheeky sense of humor, but he thought better of it. Still, his saltiness and his blue-collar roots frame and ground his message in a way that makes it really accessible to, I'm putting quotes around this, normal people. And I'm talking about dudes. If you've got a typical guy in your life, maybe your dad or a brother or boyfriend, the kind of guy that doesn't like to talk about his feelings and you just can't get in there and crack them open, you're going to want to send him this episode because that guy is never going to listen to someone who's touchy-feely or new agey, even if they're saying the exact same things that Mike talks about today, but they might listen to Mike because he's them. Well, not anymore, but he was. So all of the things he talks about today, he kind of earned this knowledge. You're going to hear him lucidly explain the mechanics of human suffering, but because he acquired all these tools, not only from the thousands of hours of teaching others how to turn hard times into optimal health and happiness, but also from his own, at times, brutal journey, this message really packs a wallop coming from him. He has walked the walk, and it's very apparent in talking with him and hearing about some of the people he's helped through some just devastating life experiences of their own. Um, I think it's a good thing for the world to know this guy and the work he's been doing. P.S., not for a lot of money. This guy's heart is in the right place. So I'll be putting links to the various organizations he works with in the show notes so you guys can do a deep dive, maybe use those resources later, or or donate to them if you're moved to do so. I'm actually in the process of hooking Mike up with Jason Redman, the former Navy SEAL we had on a few weeks ago, because a lot of Mike's work is with vets who are recovering from combat, and that's what Jason does. So I want to put them together, make it even more powerful. Um, Now, look, Mike is not big on diagnostic labels, but I think it's important to mention that he's worked extensively with people suffering from symptoms often designated as depression, anxiety, panic, bipolar substance abuse, etc. The list goes on. I'm excited for you to hear what he calls PTG, post-traumatic growth, versus PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. He also works with couples who are seeking to try a new, more effective approach at achieving harmony at home. So you may want to use him for that. In short, if you have experienced major pain, be it physical, psychological, or spiritual, chances are Mike Boyle can help you. Here he is. A little bit of a false start there. One last little note to those of you who may be tuning in to 10,000 No's for the first time. We're pretty vigilant about our sound output and making sure the audio is top notch. But once in a while, as with today's episode, where Mike had to patch in remotely from Taos, New Mexico, we're dealing with spotty internet connection, some interference. Mike did not have access to a professional studio, so apologies for any sound pixelation or glitches. The conversation is pretty clear, but it's not quite up to snuff. Just wanted to let you know that. Rather bring you this conversation than not bring it at all because of something like that, but uh, wanted to make mention. Okay, here he is, Mike Boyle. I'm psyched to be here. Thanks for inviting me. This is awesome. And yeah. uh, congrats on all the stuff that you're doing. I've been inspired. I've been loving listening to your to the podcast and following you on the on on your different projects and it's been awesome and and I think I had met I've mentioned to you a couple times that I've been even incorporating 
the 10,000 no stuff into my work with clients. So that's been really cool. So like yeah, thank there. you thank, for saying. Thank thanks you. for saying that, and that that is really, really cool for me to hear from a professional <laughs> that I'm that what I'm saying is is like you know living up to some yeah, standards. It's so. No, it's 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 relevant. It's cool. So so awesome, awesome job. And um, so yeah, what I I mean on a, on a day to day basis, I uh, I'm a father of three. I have a, a nine year old, a seven year old, and a 15 month old daughter. Uh, the nine and seven year old are boys and an awesome wife. And we have a great life. We live in Taos, New Mexico. And, um, and it's kind of like a small town, but also has a little bit of a vibe going on because we get a really great ski area and a bunch of things going on here that are separated out from being a, just a regular old small town. And at the same time, there's an underbelly here. You know, there's a, there's lots of different things that are going on. And I kind of work in the, in the trenches every day as a psychotherapist. Um, and I see everything from, you know, pretty severe trauma, um, to substance abuse, to your regular quote unquote run of the mill depression, anxiety and all that stuff. And I, um, I also work quite a bit with, um, with veterans, um, that are, you know, would typically be kind of labeled as having, PTSD complications. And I really, really love the work with veterans. That's very rewarding. Um, plus it's also awesome because they're typically really motivated to employ the tools that I've gathered over the years, instead of just wanting to, uh, to talk about things, they're ready to take some action. So that's really awesome. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, so that's my, that's my day to day. Um, and, and at the same time, I'm also, have an eye towards, um, you know, doing more writing, doing more public speaking, um, and those types of things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You're, you're a real impact within your community where you are right now, but you know, we've had a conversation about taking what it is you're doing, which is really important work. So I'm just going to say right back at you, you know, knowing a little bit of what you've been up to lately, um, the work you're doing is, is pretty incredible. And I hope uh, an interview like this, where people can hear what it is you're doing, can start to put a, a megaphone to what you're doing. So more people can benefit from the work you're doing. Because right now, it sounds like you've had a really positive impact on your community, but I think there's real potential for what you're doing to be practiced in a more widespread way. And um, I know you've been working toward that. And, and I, I would like like to do my part in helping spreading that word. And, and hopefully uh, people that hear more of what you're doing will, uh, you know, the response will then as, as it naturally does, it will, it will grow and someone will hear you and someone else will have you on their show. And then more and more people will hear about the work. So, um, before we get into the specifics of it, I'd, I'd yeah. love to go back to a, a, a little bit of the, the origin mm -hmm. story here, because sure. now you're working in these, you know, very, you're in this, um, this this town and you're in this very heavy kind of um profession or calling mm -hmm. i would almost call mm -hmm. it a calling mm -hmm. um but i know your 
you know, your childhood is you're a, a New England kid. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I'd call you a Boston kid who grew up playing total hockey. Ma and, total masshole. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> masshole. Yeah, uh, you know, dreamed of playing hockey in the NHL. Yeah. So yeah. I'd love for you to, to kind of take us back to the early totally. years and work us back to where we are current day. Totally. Well, you know, I, I was a, I was a bit of a, I, I was weird, or I recognized later in life that there was something weird. I would I would dream about playing in the NHL, and you're right. And to me, when you're a kid, the things that you dream about are just the things you dream about, and you don't have any context to be like, well, that's different. But you know, one thing that was different is like I would have this recurring dream over and over and over again, and I would play it out in a fantasy, and I would have a dream at night. And it would be, and it would be, be of, of having a platform have is like, I would be, I was in the NHL, but I wasn't dreaming about the games. I was dreaming about after the games and being in press conferences and like convincing people to like build hospitals and, and, you know, and convincing other of my teammates to be like community oriented. And this was really, really young. I was doing this. And, and, and when I look back on that, I'm like, wow, there's like, there's this just strain that you can, you know, you don't, you don't get, you don't, you can't help what you kind of come in with the program that you come in with. And there's this very, very early, early, um, stream of influence in my life. That's been very interested in, in working to alleviate the suffering that I see around me. And actually it was kind of problematic at the beginning because I remember I have a distinct memory of a time when I was five years old and I was sitting on my mom's lap and I was watching the news and I, and I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with how much suffering I was seeing. And so I actually, and this is an interesting thing that I've learned in my, in my training and I've seen working with thousands of clients is like, we can make decisions as children that are on, that are kind of unconscious or pre you know, that happened in a very deep part of our brain because when we're, before we're seven years old, our prefrontal lobe isn't, isn't developed yet. And everything that we experienced during that time is really can get hardwired in. And I made a decision to shut down. I made a decision that I can't feel this. I can't deal with this. There's too much pain. There's too much suffering. And it wasn't like my life was particularly, it wasn't like I, I grew up in a pretty, you know, pretty awesome circumstances but I just couldn't cope with like the suffering that I felt. And so I shut down. I was like, and I numbed out at and age five. You're saying this at, or? at age five. Mm -hmm. Really? And I, and I just like went into like, I'm like, I'm not going to feel that anymore. And then the implications of that, I would fast forward. The implications of that were, you know, macho taking on macho attitudes, taking on, you know, different stances as a lot of us do in middle school and high school and I'm playing contact sports and, but I'm just like, you know, pretending to not care <laughs> type of a thing. And also, but then also as I got a little older, then starting to participate in participating in really numbing behaviors, you know, like, you know, um, just to be straight about it, you know, smoking a ton of weed and drinking a lot and, and just really, really, really numbing out and numbing out and numbing out and numbing out and numbing out. Until, um, until I crashed. I when did that start? When did like the smoking weed start? <laughs> Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. Uh, <laughs> early, you know, really definitely like maybe eighth, eighth grade, ninth grade, for sure. Ninth grade. 
Did they have any um, idea? I, I know your parents and love your parents, so I, I, I hate to out you on the-, the uh, I don't think they the, did, and they're going to be listening to this, and I'm, yeah, and I'm sorry, mom. And I, I not, you know, because I was also really good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm charming, I'm smart. And I think I, I remember I do have a guilty conscience about one time when I pulled the, I think my mom asked me, Michael, I just wonder, have you been smoking marijuana? And I was like, how dare you even accuse me of that? I pulled that <laughs> awful card yeah, and I was yeah. like probably stoned at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, but whatever my, you know, I have a really great relationship with my parents and, and they've seen me through a lot of difficult things. And, and so, yeah, that was all part of my journey. And that's actually part of my, part of my theory in, you know, in working with people is like, is that everything is kind of compelling us towards, towards learning the lessons that we need to learn in life. And, and there's, and there's no regrets. And I actually really, really appreciate my days of, of serious suffering and depression. So Basically, what ended up happening is in college, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good athlete, and I'm playing varsity, varsity athletics, and you know, have plenty of friends, and you know, but I was to the extreme on the partying, and um, and I, and I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it up anymore, and I fell into a really, really, really severe depression. Like one day, you know, I'm quote unquote a big man on campus, for, you know, so to speak, and. And then the next day I can't even go to the dining room. I, I can't even go, I can't even leave my room to go eat. And I'm, you know, basically crippled in this severe depression. And, and, um, what year was this at school and where, and tell us where you were and all. I'm at, at Bowdoin college in, in Brunswick, Maine, it's a small liberal arts school. Um, and you know, well known for a, a fairly strong hockey program. And, you know, we were, and you know, we it, it was fun. There was a couple thousand people at our games and, and, uh, we would, okay. it, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I want to bring this up for the audience. Cause I wasn't yeah. sure how much I can, you, you know, I wanted to, uh, divulge of, of our relationship, but I think it's important. Uh, so, so to anybody listening, Mike is uh, one of my college roommates, younger brothers. So, uh, you are how much younger than us? Uh, seven years. So, Really, until very recently, when we connected, and I realized, oh my God, I've got to have you on the show. Hearing everything you were up to, because I've heard about you, you know, through your brother, and we'll get to some of the other things you've done on your journey. But you, you know, I think at this point in the story, it's it's uh, important to to point out. Mike was, you know, this is like. Hey, my younger brother is this sick hockey player, and you know we were at BC and you know playing lacrosse and everything, and 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 you were this, you were you were seemingly much younger at the time because mm-hmm. seven yeah. years back then is a long time, right. and but you were, you know, when we reconnected and you told me that you were depressed in college, I remember just thinking like when you when I, we had a phone conversation and I thought, oh wow, I had zero idea of that. Yeah. I had zero yeah. idea of what was going on with you. And I just saw you, uh, as, as this, this young kid with, uh, you know, the world was his oyster and, and right. he was, you know, so, so anyway, I, I, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. No, no problem. Just wanted to frame it a little bit for everybody listening. So go on, you're there. And, and, and I think crippled. it's important. I think it's important for people to know because it's like, it doesn't need to be like, 
you know, it, it's, it can be normal. It can be relatively normal circumstances, you know, that's what I'm and, saying. That's the whole right, point of the show. Right, it's like whoever right. you look at, you're looking at that person that's the star athlete or you're looking at that person flying around in the jet. Doesn't matter. Everybody's got it somehow. So there you are. What year? What year at Bowdoin? The, the, break, the breakdown itself is uh, is junior year, but I already I, I had some major like so the major kind of catalyst. Well, one is I had I had a tendency towards depression my whole life. Like, for example, I I, I called up a, one of my high school buddies when I finally kind of recognized that there was a problem and I needed to deal with it. I called him up and he was going to Holy Cross at the time. And I was like, I was like, Hey man, I'm, I just want to let you know I'm depressed. And he's like, really? <laughs> no fooling. <laughs> and the, so he knew basically. And so like, <laughs> you know, um, you know, but so this tendency was there, so I don't want to say that it wasn't, but it was definitely exacerbated by head injuries. I, you know, I, I was a really, really, really contact oriented player. I really, one of the things that I loved more than anything was pretending like I didn't know someone was coming and I kind of put the puck in my skates on purpose. And when they went to hit me, I would just pop them and, and, but I would often lead with my chin and I, I just rung my bell so many times. And then I had this macho attitude of trying to hide it and, you know, so I'd be puking in the locker room and trying to make sure the trainers didn't see, cause I know they're going to put me in concussion protocol and all this stuff. And so, so, so some things that are, you know, whatever, there's some, there's some valor in there, there's some virtue in there, but there's also some stupidity in there. And, uh, and so that exacerbated it. And also, you know, a serious, serious knee injury my freshman year and, you know, and because I'm depressed and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't have the best attitude. So, you know, a lot of talent my freshman year, like I, I was starting, you know, starting on the starting D and on the power play and all this stuff, but then ended up kind of having some difficulties with coach and, and stuff like that. And, um, you what know, was which the I gist could, of it, were you arrogant? Were you, the gist of it is I, I, I was, yeah, I, I was a little bit arrogant and like my, you know, my dad is an, is an amazing kind of, he knows the game so well. He taught me so well. Um, and you know, every, after every single practice, after every single game, just like going through, you know, every single play and analyzing this and analyzing that, that I, you know, that I, so I, I, I assumed that I knew more than the coach. Um, and that of course never goes well. Um, that never goes, that never goes over well. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into, I'm not going to go into the, the, probably the very legitimate criticisms that I have, even in hindsight about why the coach was at fault, but that doesn't matter. It's not about, it's not about that. That'll detract from the story. So, um, but the fact of the matter is, is yeah, that I, I crashed and I, I shut down and what happened was awesome. I mean, my, another thing is, is that for anyone out there that wants, you know, that judges and, um, you know, your typical jock or whatever. Um, you know, I was living in a, what would have been the equivalent of fraternity house and, and my roommates, these guys, you know, that are, we didn't have fraternities at the school. They were disbanded a few years before, but it was relatively the same gig. These guys would, these guys came into my room one day and, uh, and I was in bed as I had been and I would do nothing, but basically I was in bed all day, every day. I would just cry. And How many days sleep, in a row? Cry and sleep. I mean, a long time. Yeah. You know, you know, and then, and they came into the room and were basically like, they're basically like, they got into bed with me 
like 13 big guys, all hockey players, lacrosse players, football players. So people that typically would think, oh, not the most sensitive fellows in the world or whatever. They got into bed to me and like gave me like a group hug basically. And we're like, we love you, man, but you got to go home. You know, you're, you're, you know, you need help. And I didn't even know I was so depressed that I didn't even know that there was anything wrong. And it wasn't until I kind of got, I got out of there and I, I was removed from school against my will. Um, and, um, and I went immediately into therapy and I went also, um, I went immediately into therapy with a guy who ended up being, you know, an incredible role model and my inspiration for doing what I do and wanting to become a therapist. And, and, uh, he introduced me to meditation and these certain books. And then my sister kind of took the, my competitive spirit and she challenged me to go to a hot room yoga class. And, and I was like, going to yoga, that's lame or whatever. And, and, and she's like, well, I bet you can't make it through the whole class without quitting three times. And I was like, fine, I'll go. <laughs> and, and, uh, and one, she was right. And I definitely need to stop and rest. That was a was super hard. And then two, at the end of it, um, at the end of the class, I just, something opened up, something cracked in my heart and I just started bawling, crying. And I cried for like two hours and I was like, I will never not do this. Uh, I, you know, I'm home basically. And, and, and then from there, I just started awakening to like all that stuff that I shut down when I was little, I was like, the only purpose in life is to love. The only purpose in life is to serve. The only purpose in life is to, is to, you know, get my hands dirty in the alleviation of, you know, suffering of others. And, 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 and I just catalyzed the process that was like a deep, deep, deep awakening, you know, as dark as that depression was. And, it was a deep, deep awakening to be like, it completely reoriented my purpose and every, everything how, about my life changed. How long of a time period after you, your, your buddies said you get, you should go home before you did the yoga and before you had that breakthrough, that epiphany, was that like two months or was that like six that's, months? No, that's probably less. It's even like, you know, now granted by the time I went home, I was already in a bad shape for quite a while. But, but, but that epiphany was probably with just in a couple weeks, I was in therapy twice. I was in therapy twice a day and I was going to yoga classes. And so like, and I was ready, I was ready to pop and, you know, basically I just, my whole, my whole being, my whole, my, my whole body, mind and spirit kind of reoriented towards my kind of original design, which is like, you know, I'm a sensitive I'm a sensitive human being. I'm a deeply sensitive human being. I feel things so completely um, deeply and I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate for that, that for a long time. And then, and I tried to not, I tried to not feel it. And I tried to put on the typical macho mask that a lot of men are, are taught to wear. And, uh, but that I've learned that the pendulum, that, you know, the pendulum sw- swings too far towards that macho. I'm tough. Suck it up which there's some virtue there. I'm not saying that there isn't. And then the pendulum also swings too far to, you know, maybe what I would call political correctness or a loss of kind of, you know, authentic masculinity and testosterone. And, and right in the middle there, there's a place where I can be a, I can be a badass guy that will do whatever it takes to support my family. And I'll do whatever it takes to get in the trenches and, 
help someone out and courageous and brave, but also I'm, you know, I'm the first to admit that I, I cry every single time I watch a movie and, and, uh, and I love, you know, and I love little kids and I love, you know, and so I think that there's a real, I think that this is happening in lots of places around the country and around the world where you're seeing like there's a different type of man that is combining things in ways that maybe we weren't allowed to um, yeah. in certain ways and, and just realizing like, no, I can be a really involved dad and I can be really, you know, I can do, I, I can do it all. I can wear both those hats. You know, I can be really nurturing and I can be really tough if I need to. And um, so that all kind of started, started emerging then, but really it put, it, it put me on a, you know, everything, you know, I, the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of mastery is also an important thing. So as much as I've worked with a lot of people that are suffering in certain ways, and I have also can really relate to that, to that suffering very personally, I also am super, super into like the optimizing experience stuff and, you know, and dialing in the nutrition and, you know, learning exactly how to rewire my nervous system for optimal performance and, and all that stuff. So, and so I've just basically studied for the last 20 years, I've done nothing but study neuroscience, psychology, biology, chemistry, like all related to emotion and, and classical mind training and, and different spiritual systems and, and, and that's just, big, but it all started at that, at that moment. That was the yeah. reorientation shift. And, and what, you know, I know you ended up in San Francisco at one point or Oakland or, or somewhere. Uh, you were working, what, like, take us through the timeline a little bit. And it's not that we have to get the exact timeline, but I just want to know, like, the the steps that, you know, this is very clear what happened to you from college to then this epiphany. Now what? Like, so you had this epiphany, it's, it's, and then were, were you like, okay, great, but I'm in Boston and what am I, what am I doing? What's my life right now? Like you didn't, did you end up finishing college right away or? No, I, you, I took some time off and I, I, I went and I volunteered um, for a thing called the Ed, the Ed Law Community Project, which is basically I worked for a, a pro bono lawyer's office in Roxbury, Mass. And we, we helped with, you know, education law and, and kind of working in like, you know, one of the most kind of impoverished and, and gang, you know, gang involved areas in the Boston area at the time. And, yeah. and so I, I did an internship with them for a number of months as I was like, emerging from this thing and still doing this therapy and yoga stuff and really trying to re, re refine myself before I went back to school. And then I did go back and finished at Bowdoin and, you know, now I had my love of learning. My love of learning was ignited. So, you know, whereas I was always a smart enough kid to kind of just get away with it, you know, I was, but I was still getting B's and C's, you know, and, and not really feeling good about myself. Cause I know I was never living up to my potential. And I went back and finished in my last year of boat and I had a 4.0 and, and I was wow. just kind of on, I was on, I was, I was like, you know, because I was actually, I was awake. Yeah. <laughs> and, you had uh, a purpose. Yeah. I was, purpose. I had a purpose. I was awake. And, but then, I, but then right when I left Bowdoin, I, um, I, I, uh, I joined at that time, my, my biggest kind of, influence in spirituality was my uncle Ed, who was a Jesuit priest. And, um, and 
and I thought a lot actually about becoming a priest. And ultimately I knew that I wanted to have a family. And, and, and so that ended up not being, not being an option for me, but the Jesuits were super cool. And I liked, you know, their kind of outside the box and more progressive approach. And, um, so I joined the Jesuit volunteer Corps, um, which is basically like a domestic peace Corps. And I, and I ended up moving to, uh, uh, in, in, in a native American reservation and teaching school and, um, just getting involved in things there. And, and where and was that, Mike? That was in Washington, Washington State. Okay. And, and um, and you know, but I also had this drive for like. So when I joined the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, they were like, "Well, where do you want to go?" I said, "Well, give me your hardest assignment." And and so and and so that's so I ended up there. And then of course I I also ended up you know, but I I've also been kind of a bit of a rabble rouser. So I was like, I got there super involved i got super involved in the um in the in some of the native american spirituality and really was you know had had some funny moments like right when i got there um one of the elders was like well we have a you know he's like so do you know any you know anything about native americans and i and i was just like well yeah i i know everything i need to know i watched dances with wolves last week <laughs> yeah so he so he just cracked up dying laughing and he's like you're gonna fit in really well because he's a He's a, he was what is known as a clown in Native American spirituality, or Hayoka, which basically means he does everything kind of backwards, and it's just and so, and so I ended up hanging out with them a lot and, and going into the sweat lodge all the time, and and really just seeing the beauty and the wisdom of that of 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 those ways, and and then so, but then I started being really conflicted. I'm like, whoa, dude, I'm not like I, you know, fine, Christianity, Catholicism, fine, but like why am I teaching these native kids Christianity when they have this, when they have this perfectly intact spiritual tradition? So I stopped, I stopped teaching the, <laughs> I stopped teaching and the Jesuit volunteer corps didn't like that very much. Um, Cause I was like, I was just like, I was like, no, let's just take you. I'll just take you to your uncle's house and we'll go to the sweat lodge. And, you know, you, you know, and at this, and then in hindsight, I also realized like that was, that was my own. I was what I was 20, 21 years old, that was my own arrogance too, because those parents, those families have a right to make whatever choice they want to make in a modern day. And I, and I was, the, the, I always thought I could choose better for them. Right. Um, so I ended up leaving, I ended up, uh, no, um, not, I ended up kind of, you know, sticking around there for a little while, doing what I could to, to help out. But then I made my way down to the Bay area and, um, I made my way down to the Bay Area, and that's when I got when I first kind of came into contact with more in depth like yoga teachings, and I studied a lot of Ayurveda, which is the medicinal system from from India that is associated with yoga, and I got really really involved in in that, and uh, and also started going to graduate school for psychology at that time, and um, and then the next kind of the next huge step was that 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 group that i was studying yoga and ayurveda and things like that with we 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 decided that we wanted to kind of have a new experience or get off the grid a little bit and we were looking around we actually all a bunch of us moved to thailand to open a yoga meditation retreat center that was going to that was going to double as a um a school for kids that were being redirected from human trafficking and um so that was a kind of a huge service how, project. We, how yeah, old ahead. were you when you did that? 
Uh, what, uh, what were you, 25? 25, yeah. yeah. In the 25 vicinity. And what was and, that like? Let me just stop you for a second. What yeah. was that like on the inside? Because I remember hearing this from your brother, and he was always, to his credit, so proud of you and so um, really respectful and proud and kind of, um, in in some ways, I think, like, uh, in awe of what you were doing. You know, um, he has has gone his own, he's got his own journey, you know, through the Navy and, 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 and find it, you know, that's a whole other story, but, um, he, so I heard your story from the outside and I'm interested to hear what it was like for you. Cause I think listeners could possibly want to hear like that. You have this epiphany, you're in Boston. What do you do with it? You went to Washington state. So you pick up and go across the country you know, now you have this other epiphany once you get there, leads you to the Bay Area. Then you have this other idea to go to Thailand. You really, more than most people that I know, and I know some extreme people, you followed your heart to the end of the world. And I I really admire it. And it, some people would look at me from a certain vantage point and say the same thing, but it's not been you know, it's not nearly as extreme when you're in New York City and L.A. You know, you you really uh, chase this. So what was it like on the inside? Did you ever doubt it? Did you ever think like, oh, my family is wondering what the hell's going on? I'm off the oh, grid. I'm, what, yeah. what was that, that like? Well, I knew that they, you know, it's cool. I Actually, my brother has always been, I, interestingly enough, even though he's taken kind of a fairly traditional path in certain ways, he's actually always been kind of the, you know, he's been like, he, he, he's been really non-judgmental <laughs> about, no, yeah, your about, brother my, is... about, my, about my past. Yeah. He's a super, he's a super extraordinary sensitive person himself. And as is my, as is my sister, who's she, ha- but she has also done some things that are more kind of outside the box. And yeah. she, she's, what you know she's an amazing human being and but but i knew my parents i knew like i knew my mom was concerned you know she might like she literally came out because she's like are you in a cult you know like type of a thing right thing and and uh and and so like what the hell are you doing like dropping everything and moving to thailand and and, um and and following this spiritual practice and yada 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 and 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 honestly i had i but i was like you know yeah i'm like i i'm following i'm following my heart i know it's outside the box i know it's now that being said, some of the some of the more some of the questioning that I've done has been more in hindsight because it's like, even though I absolutely know that it was the right thing to do for my for the unfoldment of my being in the ways that really really matter, it actually really has presented some serious challenges logistically. Like coming back to the U.S. after Thailand without any savings without having worked at all in um without having worked at all in a, in an official capacity like paying into like you know you know paying social security taxes and things like that yeah. was was really really hard because we 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 moved back after 7 years of living in Thailand we moved to Oakland again the most probably one of the most expensive economies in the world and i have two children at this point, I'm married with two children and I need to, um, 
I need to do some things to finish up my master's degree in order to, you know, have a more kind of credible, like I'm doing this holistic health coaching thing, which is fine. Actually, all of the, all of the things that I was learning and doing were very authentic with incredible in-depth training and, you know, more, more so than the average person that goes and, you know, gets a holistic life coach certification. I mean, whatever. I mean, I, seven years of like intensive training (laughs) versus, you know, so that wasn't the point, but the point was in the eyes of our culture that wants to see a certification and wants to see a license and things like that. But I didn't have, I didn't have much technically or, or logistically to show for it. And here I am now 32 years old with a couple kids in Oakland with no money at all. And so, and I have to finish graduate school and probably after all of this following of my heart and, and doing these things and learning so much, had my biggest, my most difficult tests actually um, were when we came back and we were in Oakland and I, um, and I, was, I was going to graduate school by day and I was working as a stagehand actually um, at night. And I was, you know, a buddy of mine got me a, got me a gig with a local union and um and so I was, you know, so the union wage was pretty good, but oftentimes I would work 12, 14, 20 hours in a row, no sleep, whatever, then go to graduate school. And because I'm just doing every, anything I can to support my family. And, um, and, and, and it was a, a freak thing. Cause I had this history of, had this history of head injuries playing hockey. And then within a one month period, um, I'm walking, it's like midnight after a concert in the Oakland Coliseum. And, you know, we're, we're kind of picking up the pace because we're breaking a stage down and, and I'm, I'm kind of at a half jog walking across the floor and a, a, a cable with like a huge cable, like it's just as thick as like a fire hose with like a metal insert that goes into, goes into some sort of speaker, but it's like a six inch metal kind of insert at the end of this cable. And it's suspended from the ceiling of the Oakland Coliseum comes, it got unhooked. Someone unhooked it and like, they kind of just probably just tossed it. They had no idea. They kind of just tossed it aside, but it swung like a pendulum across the room. And I'm not, I have no idea that it's coming whatsoever. I'm running at like a half jog pace, maybe a three quarter jog pace. And all of a sudden with absolutely no preparation or awareness, this thing hits me in the forehead and completely takes me off my feet. I'm back. I'm laying on my back, have no idea what happened. Um, Holy and so, God. and so I get a really, like, so I get another really bad concussion. And, and so, however, because I was in Thailand, I haven't paid into social security, like, et cetera, my unemployment, the unemployment benefits that I was entitled to amounted to like $244 a month. Like, just no possible way for me to support my family whatsoever. Right. So what, so what do I do? I go back to, I go back to work, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dizzy, I'm nauseous, I'm headaches, post concussion syndrome. Um, and so I go back to work, I'm still trying to finish school. And then like a month later, no, no joke, a, a lighting trust, you know, one of those heavy metal, things that holds up like a whole lighting fixture fell on my head 
Unbelievable, and man. I, absolutely unbelievable. So I'm now I'm like, I'm in, I was in serious, I was in serious trouble. Um, not able to, you know, no financial kind of back backing to support my family. There was some, and, uh, and I'm now can't go to work. I, I literally, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get, I had to stay in a dark room. If I looked at my computer screen, I would throw up. But then the, 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 one of the things that's tricky about head injuries is that the, the quote unquote mental emotional symptoms that go along with head injuries look a heck of a lot. Like, you know, I started having panic attacks. I started having severe depression, severe anxiety, all this stuff that I had kind of thought that I had already worked my way through, which I had to a certain degree. But what was, what's really cool about it is that now I needed to, with conscious competence, heal myself again with all the knowledge that I had, with all the study, with all the training. And so instead of like it being done for me or, or, or maybe me kind of going along with the process and not really knowing what was happening the first time around, the second time around, I put myself through a process of rewiring my nervous system and, and basically healing that, you know, not only the, the after effects of the head injury, but all of the mental, emotional symptoms that go along with it. And, uh, and you know, long story short, ended up, you know, graduating and, and, and we got the F out of Dodge and we moved to Taos because, you know, Oakland was just impossible for us to afford. And it was really helpful for me to get out in nature and, you know, be in a place where I can ski and bike and hike and have beautiful vistas and have a slower pace of life because I still wasn't totally healed. So Um, how did that feel knowing that you went through this at the end of college? Yeah. You were, you were say 20, right? Yeah. And now here you are, it's, you know, and somebody else helped you. And now yeah. here you are and you're what, 32, you said, or, or now at this point, I'm old. at this point, I'm probably even old. What am I now? I'm 40. I'm, this is probably, this isn't too, this isn't that long ago. That's what's humbling. So this is, I'm probably 34, 35, Th- 34, 35. And you put yourself through the paces and it works. So yeah. I would imagine the confidence in, well, well a couple of things is like, I will, and, and you know what, I'll save it for the takeaways at the end, but I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by the whole story. Uh, I just have some things that, that I'm thinking, but I want you to keep going. I'm just thinking of the confidence that you must've developed from, from knowing that, yeah, here you went off and studied, but now you're taking this and applying it to yourself as the patient. And it works. So yeah, no, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. I mean, because yeah, because I, my ability to kind of, and I feel, I feel it this way, my ability to reach in onto a continuum and feel literally feel where someone's at is, I think is what, what, what makes it, what makes it different. like, then, you know, than just having learned the stuff and, um, Explain that to it, me when you say reach in on a continuum. What do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah, that's, yeah, no, that's good, good clarity. So basically, it's like I, because I have I have this super wide range of experience that I've been through from like the darkest, darkest, darkest depression, severe, like you know, waking up in the middle of the night with panic attacks, like you know, um, it to to now being you know. St- stable, symptom-free, basically joyful, 
loving on my path, you know, doing what I, you know, doing what, you know, I'm really meant to be doing. And so I can, so I can recognize, although I, you know, I, and, and then, and now having worked with thousands of people, it's like, I, I, there's some, there's a pattern recognition that begins to develop and you really, you begin to kind of get a sense for like, okay, this person is here and this is, and they're here's, and I have maps. There are maps and tools to get them here, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I'm, I'm just confident with that, with that process. Um, because I've, 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 in, in a certain sense, I've not only, I've not only learned maps, but I've also walked the territory. And so I've figured out lots of different, lots of different things on the way. And I've just gathered lots of different tricks and tools. And, and so that's awesome. That's, um, it, it's really good. And it was humbling there for a minute. Cause I was like, what the F I can't believe I'm going through this again. And to some degree with any trauma, with any, like when your nervous system is overwhelmed the way mine is, the way mine was, it was like, there's, um, there's some guilt and there's some shame and there's weird, there's weird ways we beat ourselves up. And, and so I was just like, what the, you know, like, what the heck? I mean, you know, so there were some moments where I've been, where I've, there's many moments actually, you can ask my wife, where I've shaken my fist at the proverbial God and been like, dude, what the F? Cause this is, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing here. I'm, I'm, I'm in the game. I'm helping people. Like I need a break. Like what the hell is going on? Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, it's been, it's been, a. Well, it's, it's um, been an I'm, interesting but rewarding journey. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're saying that because that's what I've been thinking this entire conversation is, you know, in the movies, you have the epiphany that you had when you come home from college and that's the end of the movie, you know, or they take it a little further and you have the epiphany and then you go to Washington or you take it a little further, you have the epiphany, you go, you know, like you keep having these moments. And, and I guess I bring it up to say what you just said, which is like, you're doing, when they say do the right thing, you're kind of, you've been doing the right thing, but there's still, that's what I, I keep trying to hammer home on this show is like, there, there is no scorecard stuff is going to keep coming at you and the job the gig i think for humans is you always like (laughs) the proverbial uh you know whatever that was the electrical thing that came down from the coliseum ceiling is going to swing at all of us at some time or not you know maybe not hopefully not but like we are all susceptible to that. So like just when you're on your way, it's yeah. like boom. And and then the only thing you can fall back on really is like all of the work you've done and all and the attitude that you have. I'm just thinking of your your attitude now compared to the way you described your freshman year of hockey at college. You know, it's like you 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 just seem and I know, and we don't have to go into it, but I know because of some of the the trauma that you deal with uh, on, a, on a sometimes daily basis with your clients, that you have to be, you know, perpetually optimistic in, in some way. Uh, I'm not saying you're, you know, walking around, bouncing around all the time, but you must be 
you must you you must be a hopeful person well, yeah. to do what you do. Yeah. Well, my pr- my practice is, and this is part. So now this is the whole thing is like is about unfolding and evolving, and so you know my practice, my, my, one of my life's mission is to transform, is to transform a, a tendency towards depression into joy. And so like, so yes, act, and, and the joy, this is not a new, this is not a new agey, lovey lighty. I'm not willing to touch, touch pain or suffering or uh, being in denial of pain or suffering is no, my hands are completely deep in it and I'm still going to be joyful. And so, so it's actually the, the, the practices at, at its core is one of unconditional happiness. And, yes. and that happiness does not come from anything outside of me. Happiness comes from me. Happiness is something that I cultivate. Joy is something that I cultivate. Joy is a skill. It is a, and this is the, this is the mastery. And this is also why I feel like things are starting to open up in my life in a different way. Um, because, um, because basically I, I feel like we all have a curriculum and if we don't, it, if we can't wait for the outer circumstances in our life to be what we want them to be in order to be who we are, be who we need to be. And it goes the other way. When I become, when I am unshakably who I am, when I am unshakably this being of radiant love unconditional love, compassion, wisdom, experience. When I am that completely is when the outer world starts to respond and reflect that. And so we can't wait for the outer circumstances before we generate those inner circumstances. And if I'm not explaining that completely clearly, uh, I'll I'll refer to a, you know, an author that I really like, which is a guy named Dr. Joe Dispenza. And, and, um, and he wrote a book called You Are the Placebo. And in this book, he basically has, he went around the world and he studied all these people that have, quote unquote, spontaneous remissions or mir- miraculous healings. And, and, and he said, well, there's got to be something to this. this you know, and I'm actually going to look at this scientifically. And, and, and he found that it wasn't actually, quote unquote, miraculous. What, well, what it really was that there are actually some predictable sets of principles that are common to all these people. And the number one principle, the number one principle of all the other principles, the number one thing that was common to every single one of them is that they all got to a point where they were so in love with life that they did not care whether or not their disease went away. And that's when it went away. And that's when it went away. That's yeah. And so that's amazing. Yeah. And, and so they mastered their curriculum. And so and, and I was talking with my wife about this last night. My wife's an amazing musician, which, by the way, I'd like to, I'd like, I will do a, a shameless plug for her. She's, <clears throat> she's an amazing musician. And, um, and I was talking to her about this last night and we were talking about, you know, doing it for the love and like how easy it is to get caught up in the temptation of like, well, I got to do this on social media and I'm trying to raise money so I can make an album and, 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 um, and, and all, and all these things. And it was like, you know, and we were just like, you know, and she encourages me in tons of ways. So I don't want to give the implication that I'm like counseling her. It's like, it's a very bi-directional thing. But, but I was just like encouraging her to, to remember that like, you have to keep coming back to the love, your love of the music. The love of the music is what, without any expectation of the result is like you, 
those things, those outer world things are going to work out for you once you have resolved all those inner compulsions and jealousies and all those, you know, that those, the neediness and the, the lust for certain things. And like, yeah. this is, you're, you're on a path of mastery. And whenever we're on a path of mastery, it doesn't matter what we're in. In order to become at that master level, is we, we will need to overcome every single internal obstacle. It doesn't yeah. matter if you become the master busher, you know, artist, therapist, or whatever it is. If you're going to master your craft, you're going to have to confront everything. And in and, and the ways in which we sell out a little bit is that we settle for a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And, you know, and we, and we sell out on the, on the purpose of, uh, on the purpose of our craft, which is actually to unfold our spirit, to unfold our being, yeah. not the outer, not the outer world results. And, and so, um, so, so that's, you know, so that's it. So, so my, my work with people is also my craft. It's also how I develop. And it's so, it's also so like, so I, I learn so much from the people that I work with every single day. So I'm going to, I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for, for, every, you know, making that switch for like, that the obstacles are actually, I'm grateful for them. I'm not yeah. only not, I'm not only not, not, I'm not only not whining about them. I'm like, literally, thank you. I'm yeah. oh, awesome. An- another area where I can rip into and be like, wow, I'm not able to be unconditionally loving and unconditionally happy in this area yet. So let's go. Let's yeah. dive in. No, it's, it's really, I, I really agree. I mean, I just said that in, I don't know, one of the previous episodes that came out recently, Jeff Perry, I think, I said something about, you know, the the hardship for me where I feel like things have been so slow. And maybe some people look at my career and don't think this, but I feel like it's been, it's like, you know, molasses. But that's what led me to start this podcast, which has given me so much joy and which has gotten feedback from people that are around the world that I never would have touched. I never would have, you know, they would never, I, I, there was no need for it. I wouldn't have done it. And, and it's like, you, you know, I'm also laughing. I'm thinking like, God, I'm really going to dumb down Mike's poignant moment here. But when you described, you know, once you have that, you figure it out on your, on your own, then you don't care about the disease if you have it or not. I was, the, this is the Matt Del Negro dumbed down version. I was like, oh yeah, that's swingers. You know, once he doesn't care about the girl, the girl calls no. him. Or, no, or that's, that's so, you know, Shawshank that is, Redemption. Once he no, says but, he doesn't care if he gets out, he, they get totally, let him out, you know? But that's totally true. And so like, you know, and I have a, a classic story of that with my, with actually my wife. I was like, I was, first of all, I was super shy with girls. And then for some reason with her, I was really upfront. I was like, say things like, you know, stuff that I couldn't even believe it was coming out of my mouth. I'd be like, when you, you know, as soon as you break up with your boyfriend, here's my number. Like, and I was like, and I was just, and I was on it and I was on it and I was on it. And honestly, until I had that genuine, really, really, really genuine, no strategy, no, I was like, you know what? I completely give up. I, I, she obviously is not into me. I wish her the best and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ever approach her again. And boom, she came to me and we were married like soon thereafter. (laughs) Wow. Let me ask you something. When that happened, 
did you go to her ex-boyfriend and, and take a piece of paper and slap it on a window and go, you like apples? How do you, How do like, you them like them apples? Them apples. So I, got a number. I had to bring the Boston thing back. Come Dude, on. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I cut you off. You were about no, to say. But, but no, that's all. But, it, but it's really true. And so this is a really, really awesome point. We mistake. And now this is also a really interesting point for your show because I, I absolutely am in, on board and online with the 10,000 no's thing. But there's also a way in which we can get hooked on and, and demand and, and kind of addicted to the struggle. And, and we actually, it's the release, it's the surrender of our compulsions that leads to the results, not necessarily if we if we are growing in psychological and spiritual maturity, we realize that we can already surrender and let go without ten years of struggle and ten thousand hits on the head. And wow. that is that is one of the key reasons why why I feel like my life has kind of had a tremendous amount of more stability, and I've kind of octave up a level of being is that. I've been, I've been, I've learned how to, I've learned how to let go more. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I've mastered this yet. I've learned how to let go more and, and, um, and be in that state that you're describing with the swingers, with the, with my wife, with the letting go of the disease and be in that state more without having to do that at the end of a long period of exhaustion and suffering. Yeah. So that's really important. So I want you to even just, you know, give that again, which is just that you said it in a way that was uh, basically you're, you're telling listeners saying like, yeah, you don't have to suffer for you. It's just a choice. It's the choice to let it go. It's the choice to let it go. If it's going to take you 10 years, great. But you, you could also just say right now, no, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be unconditionally right happy. Yeah. I'm going to be unconditionally happy right now, regardless of, so there's this, you know, and I, and I absolutely take advantage of, of mentorship in my life. So yes, I work with a lot of people, but I also have been benefited from tremendous teachers in my life. And, and so I currently have a mentor that I go to on a very, very, very regular basis. I, I take classes and trainings and, you know, have literally thousands of emails between us. And, and so, he, you know, we have a, he, he taught me something called the pivots, which is basically even if X aside from X and especially because of X, I choose Y. So why is who I choose to be? Why is the variable of like, so let's say that's like, you know, we also have, you know, this something called the most secret name that we cultivate, which is basically my identity of who I really am. It's like my virtue based personality that I am working towards creating a future person as opposed to reacting the past. I'm being, I'm in the creative, I have a creative orientation to my life. And I believe that my life is my work of art and my circumstances are my canvas. And, and I am, I am aiming towards the future instead of continually re reacting, literally take that word react and you break it down. It's reacting the past over and over and over and over again, like groundhog day. And, and so my, so in order to do that, I focus around a, an identity 
that is based on my values instead of my conditioning. And so, so at any given moment, I can kind of do the, you know, what would Jesus do thing, but with my own secret identity, which is like, how would that person think? How would that person feel? How would that person act? Well, great. Then that's how I need to think, feel, and act right now. <laughs> and yeah. so, it, you know, if I want to become that person in the future, the only way to become that person in the future is to act that way now. And, you know, some people say, oh, yeah, I know that. I, I know that. That's called fake it till you make it. And like my mentor would say, no, it's not. It's called make it. <laughs> it's not fake <laughs> it till you make it. It's not fake it till you make it. It's make it. That's and so, awesome. Yeah. So, and so, and so even if anxiety, I value and choose to be unconditionally happy. Aside from anxiety, I value and choose to be unconditionally happy especially because of anxiety, I value and choose to be unconditionally happy. Even if I get hit in the head by the thing that swings across the gym, I value and choose to be unconditionally happy. Aside from getting hit from the thing in the head in the gym, yeah. I value and choose to be unconditionally happy. And especially because I get hit in the head with the thing in the gym, I value and choose to be unconditionally happy. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's so, oh, go on. Sorry. Yeah, no. I, I was just going to say, it's so, it's so, um, it's so hard to do. And yet it's the thing, you know, cause when, any, if anybody's listening and they're objecting and going, well, yeah, but, and they could list out a bunch of things that are a pain in the ass for them. Right. But if you look at anybody that we admire any really anybody that we admire as a society, that's what they do, you know, and maybe it's not happiness. Maybe it's greatness. Maybe it's Michael Jordan greatness in any, you know, he's playing with the flu and he's still great. Whatever it is, it's somebody choosing to, to forge ahead no matter what, you know, and choose, uh, choosing to be the dominant influence in your life. Yeah. I am the dominant influence in my life. Not what happens to me, not what my mommy and daddy did to me, not the trauma of my past. I am the dominant influence in my life and, and not, you know, not my boss, not my wife. I am yeah. the dominant influence in my life. And that's, and that is like the position of power that, you know, I think that all, you know, so we have a, at any given moment, we have a choice. We have a couple of choices. One is to keep going and another is to quit. Mm -hmm. And those are the only choices. And so we can keep going incrementally you know, sometimes all we can do is crawl, but we're still going, we're still right. going, we're not quitting and we don't. Qu and, and, and so, and then we also, everyone has trauma and yes, I absolutely are. I know firsthand that even some of the hardships that I've described here today are nothing compared to some of the things that I've seen and some of the people that I've worked with. So I'm yeah. not, I am not coming with this a new agey Pollyanna yeah. naive, naive perspective here, but still the curriculum is the same. We either are, and this is something that people that are still really, really entrenched in their suffering can find really offensive. So I, I say it carefully. And when I'm working with people, we work up to it. But the fact of the matter is, is that at some point we either need to be a victim of our story or the hero of our story. And those are the only options. And I'm either going to be a hero of this narrative or I'm going to be the victim of it. And I'm going to be the victim of it. This is this mindset shift. You know, I, I love a book. There's a great book called Super Better and a woman named Jane McGonigal. I mean, um, yeah, Jane McGonigal wrote it. And, and she talks about the, 
the mindset shift that is required between post-traumatic stress disorder and post-traumatic growth, which is a less well-known study of all of the awesome things that can come out of experiencing trauma, post-traumatic growth, PTG versus PTSD. And the number one delineation between the two is that if I believe that my adversity is a threat, I will be more likely to develop the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. If I believe my adversity is a challenge, I will be more likely to experience post-traumatic growth. And that's the shift right there. And so am I a victim of my circumstances or am I the hero of my circumstances? So yeah, even if awful stuff happens, and that's one of the, you know, one of the mottos of, of, you know, some of the stuff I do online in this wholehearted movement is even if bad stuff which, happens. Which, by the way, I'm going to, um, I'm going to have show notes for anybody listening who is inspired by Mike. I know he's been up to, he's got uh, videos, he's got, there's, there's a whole plan for all of this. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. I, I don't. We're not going to go into the whole plan of it right now, but I'm encouraging anybody to to just go check it out. We'll have plenty of links so that you can see all of the work. And um, I, I, I wanted to ask you, as I'm listening to this, where, if anywhere for you, um, where does does God weigh in on this? Does spirituality where where does that fit in? And I hate to ask that question when we're after an hour in, because I know it could open a whole can of worms. But I I've been thinking it the whole time. Like where where does it, everything fit in? Because you're you're very much it's like a it's a very, um, you know you're saying you're the one that that's in control of the not the situations. But I also know there's a humility. To, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I'm interested yeah. to hear how you how you work it all out in your mind. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I the, the and this is one of the major shifts that I made when I started when I started working with people. Not in basically ninety eight percent of what I do, I did not learn in psychotherapy training school. You know, one thing that one thing that that education does not do is actually prepare you to work with people. It teaches you a lot of theories that are whatever. So that I'll, I'll, I'll leave my criticisms of that whole field. But oftentimes, therapy makes things worse because when we when we talk about our problems, even when we're even in the even in the interest of trying to fix them, we actually light up all the same neurology and chemistry and biology as the problem. So we actually need to really, really spend more time focusing on creating solutions rather than fixing problems and. It, but that's a, I digress a little bit. But but the point being is is that ninety eight percent of what I do comes from spiritual work systems that I've trained in, and um, in classical mind in the classical mind training that goes along with you know um, very in depth meditation and alchemy inner alchemy process of the alchemy of turning you know emotional suffering into radiant virtues, and um, and so spirituality is a is a huge part of my life and and the way in which i address spirituality conveniently enough is um totally can be totally non-denominational um and which is important for the for the work that i do because i obviously have people from all walks of life come into my office um but 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 yeah that's you know whatever we are going to call that um, 
But the thing is, is that I think what people don't, or at least in my personal opinion, another awesome book is a book called The Tools. And these are actually some psychotherapists from LA that have gotten kind of popular in there. And they actually talk about connecting to higher forces. And the thing is, is that we, there are higher forces in my opinion, um, whether we want to call them virtues, whether we want to personify them, whether we want to just call them patterns or whatever it is, there is something bigger than us that we can hook up to, but it's an ongoing cultivation to do so. It's yeah. not a one-time event. It is a, it is an ongoing exercise to hook up to something bigger than ourselves that can fuel us and drive us, that can heal us, that can provide what seems to be kind of miraculous experiences in our lives. But the thing is, is that it, it is not, it's not an intellectual thing. It's not a, it's not what I claim. Here's a little, a little challenge for people is like, is people say, well, I, I worship this or I believe in that. And so, well, actually our God is what we worship. And regardless if we are, say we're an atheist or we say that we're a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim, our God is actually what we worship. And what we worship is not what we say we worship. What we worship is what we prioritize. What we worship is what we spend the most time thinking about, feeling, and acting upon. And what we worship, we become. We become what we spend the most time thinking about, feeling, and acting upon. So some people worship anxiety. Some people worship depression. Some people worship sex. Some people worship drugs. Some people worship money. Some people worship success. Some people worship love. Some people worship joy. Some people worship compassion. And you become what you worship. And what you worship is what you spend most of your precious heartbeats and breaths on. Because time is not measured by the clock. That is, that is something that we've created for convenience. Real time is that I'm going to die. And between now and the time I die, I have a certain amount of heartbeats and breaths. And those are therefore the units of my life force. Those are the, those are the units of measuring my life force. And what I literally give my life to will have life. What I breathe my life into will have life. If I give my life to talking about how, because I didn't, I wasn't parented in a certain way, I can't do this or that, that will have life. If I give my life to, the woe is me story that will have life. So whatever I give my heartbeats and my breaths to will grow for better or for worse. And so that's God. I, I choose to, I choose to worship God as unconditional love and radiant happiness and service uh, to those that are less fortunate, maybe in this given moment. And so that's my priority. And those are the results that I get because I, what you worship, you become what you worship grows. Oh man, you, your, your articulation of these principles and the combo of that with your background and the, the suffering you've had yourself and the suffering that you are around now as a result of your job gives it so much more weight than say me saying it, you know, and it's, it's really, I really appreciate it. I really, um, 
I'm I'm so glad, you know, you and I connected after, I don't know, it must have been decades. It was a long time. And we had a conversation that I said, man, I wish there was some kind of um, some kind of micro, some kind of recording device that while we had this conversation, that could have been an episode. And I feel like we were able to, you know, we covered some different things, but I am we're able to share your knowledge base and your spirit with people that listen to this show. And I'm so psyched that we were able to connect with this and do this. Um, I'm really grateful. And it's also, you know, this sounds, this sounds terrible, but like kind of as like an, a friend to your older brother, I'm like so proud. I mean, like, cause I think, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, the, the kid that used to, come visit us and the guy, the man that I'm listening to right now, it's like, um, it, it really, it really affects me, man. And, and just, and, and also just to say to the whole Boyle clan, um, you know, Chris, Jen, your parents, just, just such a great family. Yeah. And, and, um, I'm super lucky. So I'm, I'm thankful. I'm grateful to them, you know, just for, for bringing you into the world and, and, letting you go do your thing. And I really believe you are going to do huge things with your work. And I, and I hope I'm in some way, uh, can, can help spread the the word in, in some way. I got one question for you just cause I ask it to everybody. So before I let you go, um, you, you've kind of answered it in other ways, but just one if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you choose to intervene and what would the advice be? I mean, I guess I got to say, if I could, if I could figure, if I could figure out a way to speak to that five-year-old and tell him not to shut down and to be who he was right from there and and to be that open, sensitive, caring, compassionate, you know, human being that I was, that I was born to be you know, and, and, and I'll, you know, and I know, you know, this is true, but this is also a super important part of it is like, and at the same time, if I didn't shut down from five to 22 and all of the ripple effects that that has had in my life, I would have never learned the skills and tools that I now have to be able to actually effectively execute on helping in the way that I, well, that's I was, to want yeah. to help. I was so, going to say so, that when you said so, that, I was like, man, but if you did that, you never would have played hockey. You never would have had I that never, moment. You, you know, no, none of it. So, so, so that we really do come back to like, there really is when you, when you recognize your inner wholeness and I'm going to now go cliche a little bit and a little che- cheesy, but when you recognize your inner wholeness and you're here and you're alive and awake and you're, in this present moment, looking forward, then there's truly no regrets. Truly. Yeah. I mean, and, and we all hear that, but it's for anyone that's not there. Anyone's not feeling that yet is like, I know, I absolutely know what it feels like to not feel that and to even learn that and to hear that and be like a fucking bullshit doesn't apply to me. You know, they have no idea what I'm going through. I, I get all that. And someday you're going to be like, <laughs> wow, it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because it, because it's true. <laughs> and so there, there are some things that are universally there that are universally true. Yeah. And, uh, and so, 
So <clears throat> before before we go, I want yeah. I, I I need to do some I need to do two plugs because they're not about me. Well, One by the, the way, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna jump on you for one second. Okay. I actually already had the idea when you talked about your wife's music. Now this is this is a little dangerous for me because I've never heard your wife's music, but I'm gonna take a leap and I'm gonna say I'm gonna end the episode with one of her songs of your choosing. And we could talk later about which one that is. We'll throw awesome. that on the end of the episode. Awesome. Yep. Perfect. What, what are and the then, other plugs? So, so then it's veteranswellnessandhealing.org. Veteranswellnessandhealing.org. I'll put the it in the show number. notes. Yep. The it's going to be in the show notes for everybody. Yep. Give it The phone number is 575-337-5236. And this organization is doing awesome things for veterans and they run these week-long retreats for veterans and their spouses or their couples or some other supportive person in their life. And that's a really key component because the recognition is that post-traumatic stress affects the entire family. And if a veteran just comes and gets these services, but there's no other way for the, for the wife to get it, for the partner to get it, for the friend to get it, to implement it back into the wider circle of their life and their community, it often gets lost. But these, these retreats are amazing. They are super, super well run. The education is amazing. There's, you know, there's education classes every day. There's therapy. There's massage. There's chiropractic. There's acupuncture. They're completely free for vets. Um, they take place in a beautiful place in New Mexico at a retreat center in New Mexico. So if you're a veteran or you know someone, then please get in touch so that they can get signed up. And if you got bucks, please get in touch and give them some money because this is a really, really legit organization doing really, really good work. Um, and some of the most impressive kind of PTS healing that I've ever seen. So that's and, awesome. Yeah. Man. That's awesome. Was that the only two plus was that? Or and that I was, and you then had it was another, my wife. Uh, it was my wife's chamanmusic.com. Yeah, shamanmusic.com yeah. her, her website is c-h-a-m-a-n music.com and she's awesome she's just going to start launching she used to be in some really great bands and i'm i'm uh i'm yoko i broke up the band and and uh her <laughs> I, brother, can't, I can't wait to hear her music but, it, it yeah. better be good if i'm going to end the episode with <laughs> <laughs> right um, on, dude, mike boyle thank you so much for sitting down and um thank i'm you, sorry Matt. we couldn't actually do it in person but this is a uh this is a close second and we'll, we will hang at some point in the We're going to have to do it in person. And I want you, thank you for taking a chance, man, because you know, I'm not, you know, I was a little nervous coming on here. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not an LA name. I'm not famous. I'm, I'm kind of in a small town here and thanks for taking <laughs> a chance at take, taking a chance and let me, let me on. And, um, uh, this Dude, really I'm lucky, lucky to have you, man. Lucky and, to have and likewise, you. Thank you. I'm super, super excited to reconnect with you. And to see what you're up to and how you are making, uh, how you are mastering your craft. Because what I see in your work is that, as as I was making the point earlier, is what I see is that it's developing your soul, not and not just about acting and not just about you know success or fame or anything like that. You're developing your soul, and that is evident um, in the man that you, you're becoming. So I'm I'm super thrilled to be back in touch with you. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Likewise. All right, brother. All right. Top three takeaways. Here we go. Number one, the overall one for me is just the pain we go through. It's not fun. But when you lean into it, 
it becomes your guide. That's Mike's life in a nutshell. And I think all of us need to remind ourselves of his journey when we're in the middle of our most challenging battles. Number two, sometimes even though you've learned the lesson and did tons of work toward learning that lesson, dedicated your life to it, moved across the world for it, you may still get knocked down. Life's not fair. It's just not. But even when those unfortunate events happen, undeservedly so, you still have to lead with gratitude. Actually, the way Mike puts it, those situations require gratitude even more. I was blown away by that. I hope if I ever face anything as dire as some of you that have written in, that I can have half the grace that Mike had in his reaction to his challenges. Number three is what Mike said to his five-year-old self about not shutting down and being the compassionate human being he was born to be. This is so hard to do in this world we live in today, to just be honest and open and not pose. And that posing, for Mike, maybe it was posing as the tough kid who loved to hit out on the ice, which, by the way, is awesome, but not if it costs you your humanity. And for some of you, maybe it's posing as the person with all the money or material goods, or maybe someone else, it's posing as the smart person who has all the answers. All of those things on their own can be great, but not if you're using them to hide your true self from the world and you're suffering as a result of that. And if you are, I got a feeling the universe isn't going to let you get away with it hiding like that forever. Okay, we're done. Mike Boyle, thank you for sitting down with me. In fact, the entire Boyle clan, Mr. and Mrs., Chris and Jen, thank you guys for being you, for producing Mike. I I just, I was so happy to sit down with him and have this conversation. Thanks to you who are listening in your car, on the subway, on the treadmill, the beach, wherever. Thank you. Uh, If you feel like a friend could benefit from Mike's message or this show in general, please share it. Uh, I wouldn't kick an iTunes review out of bed if you wanted to leave one. Really appreciate it. And subscribe to 10,000 Knows wherever you listen so you don't miss any episodes when they come out every Friday. Uh, If you want to learn more about Mike, as I said, go check out the links in the show notes. We work hard to bring them to you. Go check them out. There's also, by the way, whenever you're listening, we always break these conversations down and put timestamps. So if you want to just get right to a certain part or you see a quote that we put in in the show notes, just go right there. You don't have to listen to the whole episode if you don't want to. If it's, you know, if if that's going to prevent you from listening at all, I don't want that to happen. So check out the show notes. We put the work in. Please, you know, take advantage. Um, And you you also may want to check out the links in the show notes for these past conversations, which I think relate to Mike. Rob Whitaker, who battled stage four colon cancer with just an amazing attitude, great sense of humor. Actress Tony Torres, whom I worked with on Goliath, awesome story of overcoming poverty and sexual abuse on her way to becoming a professional actor. Or Former Navy SEAL Jason Redman. I know that one was recent, so many of you just heard it, but in case you missed it, it makes a nice companion piece to Mike's story today. Uh, or you can just scroll through 10,000nose.com <clears throat> when you're buying your hat and t shirt, hint, hint, uh, to see if there are other episodes that may speak to you. 
Join us every Friday for these conversations and the intermittent shorter solo riffs on the themes of this show, resilience, reframing, perseverance, winning mindset, basically how to overcome 10,000 no's in whatever form they come to you. For announcements and promo videos of who's next, you can follow me on social media at Matty Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. And you can email us at info at 10,000nos.com if you want to be added to our mailing list or with questions, feedback, or guest suggestions. Just a warning, if you make them too long, uh, it's hard for me to get back to you right away. Um, So try to keep them slightly brief. Thanks again. Really appreciate the support. And we'll see you next week. I want to wake up to love and Oh, almost forgot. We have replaced our usual end song with Mike's wife, Tanya's song. I promised I would do that. It's called Wake Up. You're hearing it right now. If you dig it, you can check out the link to its YouTube video. It's pretty cool. And there's nothing I like more than supporting artists who are really going for it. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week.